ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we are going to be talking today to Steve Lashansky. And Steve, gosh, he has done, done so much, but this particular book is called The Ultimate Sales Revolution, Sell Differently, Change the World. And this is a topic that is so near and dear to my heart because it it is my personal pain point in my tech company. And Steve has promised me that this is going to be life-changing for me. So I am so excited to introduce Steve to you. Steve, good afternoon. Chicky, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And I think we'll start to look at the reason it's called sales revolution. It's because we need to change, radically change our whole concept of sales. Well, I can't wait to dig into that. But first, I always like to give the backstory of my guests. And Steve, you've got just a very interesting history. So why don't you just walk us through what got you to be the man that you are today? Because I think, you know, it really is the man behind the book uh, that our guests are, are interested in. Well, you know, it's fascinating. I, got, I owe a lot to my mother, who is one of the most gregarious, people-oriented people I've ever met. And from a very early age, we used to talk about why people do what they do. And so from a very early age, I've always been interested in what makes people successful in whatever form that success takes. It's not just who makes money, but who's happy, who's making a difference in the world, who's contributing. And I've studied that over the years. I've met some truly great masters. And to me, a master is somebody who changes the whole field of play. So I went to study with one guy for six years who taught me how to think. And what I mean by think is be mm -hmm. able to observe the phenomena, observe what's really going on, not just make up stories about it. You know, we know how powerful stories are because they touch us, but the reality of what's actually going on is so important. So just being a student of what makes people do what they do. I did it in business. I ran companies. People are you know, really amazed to know what I did because I used to run gift and toy companies we used to sell what's known as tchotchkes, glow-in-the-dark stars <laughs> that go on the ceiling. Little gelatin yeah. capsules that you drop in water, out pops foam animals, teddy bears, and dinosaurs. So I built a $10 million business and then managed to blow it up. And it wasn't me. The bank called our loan for no good reason other than they were under pressure. So it gave me a lot of options to choose. And I'd always told my friends, what I really want to do is be part of the transformation of how leadership and business is done. And, you know, having told them that for 10 or 15 years, they said, just let us know when you do it. And that was my opportunity. So I started my consulting company in 1992 as an executive coaching company when nobody knew what that meant. Because I said, what do you do? Right. I'm an executive coach. And back then, everybody say, an executive coach, what's that? And within a few <laughs> years, people started saying, oh, executive coach, I know what that means. No, you don't know what I mean. So what I do now is I partner with my clients to create extraordinary results. And, you know, a lot of the study of what makes things work, you know, I talk about interpersonal effectiveness has always been one of my favorite things. I love people. I love the connection that we get when we're doing our best work together. And so that's been one of my areas of expertise and study. And this book is actually about one of the three dimensions that I work with leaders on. I call it the three dimensions of leadership effectiveness, personal effectiveness, interpersonal effectiveness, 
organizational effectiveness. This book is about the interpersonal effectiveness and the principles that drive that, which are at the heart of all sales, but also all relationship. Right, right. So you, you in your introduction talked about why we need a revolution revolution. And, you know, I think right now at this particular moment in time, there are a lot of things at play. And in um, our pre-call, I was explaining to you that that my company, which is a, a travel and event tech company, um, you know, we were just getting ready to scale right before COVID hit. And, uh, you know, like many got blindsided by the fact that our, our core businesses, uh, you know, really relied on a healthy uh, travel and events business. But, but really, even before that, we had some challenges uh, in the area of sales and get, you know, everything from getting people to connect with us on LinkedIn to answering the phone to, you know, getting to the right person to, you know, having people uh, just ghost us when we thought a discussion was going really well. And uh, because sales hasn't been or isn't my area of of competence uh, and or rather giftedness, uh, I'll just say that. I mean, I think I've certainly over the years, I, I had a consulting company that started just a few years after yours. And, you know, I sold multi-million dollar consulting gigs. So obviously I do have some skills in that area, but I really do feel like, like we need a revolution. So tell me a little bit more about why you took that tack uh, in this book. Well, most fundamentally, I think that sales is one of those areas people recoil at the thought of. You're a good example, Chicky. You know, it's so critical to your business. I call it the heart of a business. You know, you can have the greatest brains around inside an organization, but if the heart's not pumping, the brain's dead in no time. Yep. So sales is really the heartbeat of an organization. But what does it take to be a really successful heartbeat? So we have to break down what sales is. And the reason it needs a revolution is because the only people who probably rank below salespeople in terms of lack of respect is probably Congress and politicians today. <laughs> exactly. So we got politicians on the bottom next car, you know, the used car salesman is the next lowest level of anybody you would trust or respect. So the real question is what are people doing that when you see us, you know, this is, I'm going to jump ahead to a chapter, but when I ask people, you know, how much do you love sales and salespeople? Nobody's getting excited here. Right. You know, so you always ask the question, if somebody, if you're in a store or you're in an environment or a business and you see a salesperson coming to you, what are the first things that come to mind? <laughs> Turning and going the other way. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, manipulation, not going to listen, going to pressure me, all these things. The first 15 automatic responses when you see a salesperson coming towards you, there's a whole chapter in the book called The Sales Exorcism. <laughs> you know, the first 15 immediate responses are negative, you know, so clearly people don't love sales. They don't love the experience of sales. They don't love selling or being sold to. So something radically has to change. And yet it's the heart of doing business with each other. Right. But we, is it the process? Is it the process that is well, broken or the perception? Because it really is two different things. And maybe the perception came from a broken process. Actually, it's a chicken and the egg process because the process and the perception are both broken. What do you need to do in order to survive? We know we need to sell, but when we think about what we call sales, 
it doesn't work. So let's step back a, a step from sales. So instead of this thing called sales, which we all know, very few of us truly love, what really is at the heart of sales? And sales is really driven by communication and communication is enhanced by relationship. So let's go to the very fundamental of what sales is. It's really about relationship. And it's really about the quality of relationship that we have. So I've asked this question around the world. I've worked with people from more than 45 countries. The answers are the same everywhere, Asia, Europe, the Americas, even Australia. You know, So I haven't been in Africa. I've worked with people from Africa, but I haven't been there. I've been there, but I haven't worked there, let's say that. So here's the, here's the question I say, what are the fundamental universal driving forces of relationship? Interesting question. I mean, it seemed like an obvious question somebody should be able to answer. Well, it's not so obvious when you get the answer. So there's seven common answers that come up. Trust and respect are the first two. So you have trust, respect, openness, communication, listening, caring, and understanding. Trust, respect, openness, communication, listening, caring, and understanding. To which I say to the people, if you, have you ever had those in a relationship and the relationship didn't work? And of course, the answer is yes. I've had trust and respect. I've had openness and communication. I was listening. I was caring. I was understanding. It still didn't go anywhere. <laughs> to which I say that means it's not the universal driving force. They're useful. They're valuable. They're worthy. There's no question. But they themselves are indicators of what you want in a relationship. They're not the drivers of the relationship. So when we start to understand that, we need to ask the question differently. So it's a really fascinating question. What's the universal driving force of the most effectiveness in relationships? And my answer is one that nobody ever gave me before I gave it to them. And the answer is it's the amount of value you create in the relationship. The more value, the better the relationship. And Chicky, we're on video, although this is a podcast. And there you are nodding your head <laughs> a lot, which is exactly what happens to everybody else. It's the amount of value you create in the relationship. Right. Perfect common sense. So what I say then, now we understand what we're really trying to do. It's not about trust, respect, openness, communication, listening, caring, understanding. It's about how do we create value? Well, that changes the entire game right there because the question is, where does value live? You know how valuable your services are to your clients. Does that matter if they don't? <laughs> no, it absolutely does not. And, and so, I think that that has been our key challenge because in our particular case, people aren't looking for what we have. So right. they haven't yet gotten to that aha moment that says, ah, if only I had, you know, and, and fill right. in the blank with what we have. It, I, I say to people, it's very much like if you went to a housewife in the 1950s and told her you had a microwave and started talking about all the things that the microwave could do, you would have already lost her, right? Because what she really knows is that she wants to spend more time with her kids and less time in the kitchen. Right. Right. And, and she never in a million years would imagine that there would be uh, you know, a little box that you could put your food in that would speed that process up, right? And we're, we're selling a product that's like that. So, you know, there's obvious miscommunication. So what other sources of miscommunication? Because again, you listed a set of values that we think we need to aspire to. Now, I happen to already uh, 
believe and embrace the value thing because one of my favorite books in the whole world is Bob Berg's book, The Go-Giver. Right. Right. right? And it, it's actually what caused me to write my book, The Game Changer, or yes, The Game Changer, which is an allegorical business novel. And it is all about providing more value than you take in payment. Right. right. So uh, at least theoretically, right, that that's already penetrated my brain. But obviously, there's still a miscommunication. Um, and, and so I need to, to get to the place where I understand uh, the priorities and the decision making of the Got person it. on the other end, right? So how, how does that all come together? So let me tell you, it's worse than you need to understand the decision making on the other end. They need, they to, need un to understand the decision making <laughs> on the other end. We talk about there's yes. three causes of miscommunication. And obviously you can't have a good relationship if you have miscommunication. And from a very phenomenological fundamental point of view, the three sources of miscommunication, it's a whole chapter in the book. There's you, there's them, and the way you do it together. <laughs> and I did this, I did this once when I had to capture the attention of a bunch of engineers who were in a two-day program called Building High Value Relationships, which is the precursor to becoming an indispensable partner. And they're sitting there with their arms crossed 30 minutes in going, I can't believe I can barely stand this now. And I got two days. And this was a pilot program with all the executives. So I said, you know, there's two questions, which I'll share with you in a moment. I'll share one of them right now because I asked them. I, I knew I had to get their attention. So there's a great question to get people's attention. What's your biggest challenge? Because that's a really critical thing to understand. Well, I might as well give the other one too. What's your greatest opportunity? Because those are two ends of the scale. So I know those are the two best questions you can ask to frame a conversation of meaning and value. So I said, what's the greatest, what's your greatest challenge? Our clients, what's the problem with your clients? They don't know how to communicate. And I'm thinking they don't know how to communicate. <laughs> so here's three sources of miscommunication you. So the question I ask them, what percentage of the time, and this is the same for almost all professional audiences, which is who I deal with. What percentage of the time are you a highly effective communicator? In professional audiences, the average is 60 to 80%. So let's call it 70% on average. What does that mean? The implication, 30% of the time, you're the problem. Question number two, them. What percentage of the time is the first request you get from a prospect or a client what's ultimately most valuable and important to them? That's a critical question. The whole book is built around how to deal with that because the answer to that question around the world from thousands and thousands of people is 10 to 20%. And even some people would say 50% of the time, but I'm saying, do you know which 50% of the time they're not telling you what's most valuable? Well, not really. I said, so we need to deal with the process anyway. So we need to understand they don't know what's most valuable to them, even with their intensity of request, even though they're calling you asking for your services, most of the time they don't know what's most valuable to them. And even if you're right, there's a, well, the number one axiom of becoming an indispensable partner, which is what the ultimate result of the sales revolution is. You become an indispensable partner to your client. The axiom is being right is insufficient for being effective. Wow. And my laugh, that, that's and my laugh line, my laugh line for that, Chicky, anybody who's married knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's pause for a commercial break. You've been listening to The Game Changer, sponsored by Travelling to Give. For more information about our smart event tools that give back with each trip, visit travelingtogive.com. 
Without a doubt. You know, it, it's funny, Steve, because as you're talking about this, I think back to my early days in, in the consulting, uh, when I was doing consulting full time. And uh, I got a call one day and, and on the phone with somebody from the Las Vegas Review Journal, somebody from uh, Mandalay Resort Group, and I think somebody from Park Place uh, Hotels. Wow. And, and what they were calling to ask me was they needed a new booking engine for their website and their website was lasvegas.com and I went and looked at it and honest to God what I saw was a story about a murder behind Caesar's palace and an Expedia booking engine right next to it and it's like oh my god so they were asking me the wrong question and by the way from a consulting perspective the question they were asking me was about a thirty-five thousand dollar question right right? i could have helped them you know look at all of the alternatives to expedia and find that well we ended up doing a 1.8 million dollar consulting gig of actually building lasvegas.com from the ground up as a portal for people actually coming to Las Vegas instead of what it was, which included how to buy a car and how to buy real estate and all of this stuff for locals, right? Or people relocating. And so, you know, it's funny that, and and not funny, haha, but odd to me that I was so adept at that in the consulting realm. And you know, have have struggled more from the product realm of what we offer today. So services and product sales are are slightly different in my book, right? And I'm going to disavow you of that, that belief. Okay, and I would love for you to. So here's the key issue. It makes no difference what you're selling. For instance, let me sell you something right now. I can start to talk to you about my services to get rid of your phobia about sales and improve your sales massively. I can talk about that. And I could charge you $5,000 and it sounds like a lot of money. Or I could talk to you about, Chicky, would you like to build your business back to an extraordinary level of performance? Would you like to really multiply your revenues? Would you like to enjoy the process and be able to grow your company (laughs) without stress? And that would cost you $100,000. $5,000 sounded expensive because it was out of context. It was, here's what it costs for my product or service, regardless of whatever it was. Right, right. And this one, you're saying yes to you don't even know what because it gives you what you want most. And that's the whole point. It makes no difference. In fact, too many people talk about their products or services when in reality, your client does not care. Now, clearly, they need what you have. But here's my analogy. You're going to do some renovation on your kitchen call two carpenters in. The first one comes in with a giant black bag, puts it down, starts pulling equipment out. Said, let me tell you about some of these tools. I invented these tools. They do something. Nobody else has these tools. Let me show you this one and this one and that one. And this one. <laughs> Look at this one. Nobody else has that. Puts the tools away and walks out confident that they've got the job because they are so unique and they right, right. demonstrate it. Second carpenter comes in, has a big black bag, puts it down and said, how do you want it to feel here when you're done? How much disruption can you tolerate? Are there any particular issues you want to make sure that we take care of or that we avoid? We can do all that. Never open the bag. Which which carpenter are you hiring? It's obvious it's carpenter number two because carpenter number two gives you what you want, even though you may not have even thought about some of those questions. So for you and your products, it's not about your product. It's about what the client gets, but most importantly, It's about them perceiving it. There's another axiom here. 
I'm full of really critical axioms that drive response here. This axiom is it's worth 10 to 100 times as much to help them see the value of your service as for you to tell them what it is, which again, changes the game. They need to perceive the value that they're looking for, not of what you deliver, but of what they're looking for. Now there's two key perception shifts that need to be made in any relationship if you want them to trust you and work with you. The first perception shift is they need to perceive you know what's most important to them. Well, what's the paradox here? Paradox is 90% of the time, they don't know what's most important to them. They just want this. Right, right. And too many people are willing to submit a proposal for this when that is what's needed. So the first order of business is helping them get clear about what's most important because value lives in their mind. Our fundamental job is to be a facilitator of what's most important to our clients. Because once we do that, we take care of perception shift number two, which is they need to perceive that you can do something about what's important to them. But here's the problem. Too many people walk in going, I know my business. You're an expert. That's why they hire you because you're an expert in your area. You know the solution before they know the question. Problem with that, you don't get credit for it. You don't get valued for it. Right. And you start talking about who you've done it with and how much you've done and how good your tools are. And look at these ones I invented. And uh, they hire the next person because you did not address the most fundamental transformation of a relationship, which is you help them get clear about what's most important to them. And in doing so, when you being present, they know you understand what's most important to them. And even more than that, from a point of view of reciprocity, you help them figure out something that they didn't even know themselves. So look how valuable you are before you even charged them a cent. Right. And so that rapport that comes out of that and that engagement is really foundational. And, you know, it starts with listening and and not with talking. And it starts Uh, with being able to ask questions and facilitate that clarity on behalf. For instance, let me give you another example. I spend a lot of time working with leaders and leadership. So somebody calls me and says, we're looking for a leadership coach or a leadership speaker. And I go, well, they hit, they hit the right place. That's exactly what I do. That's not what I say, because they're calling you for exactly what you sell. But what do you ask? My first question is, what are you trying to accomplish? And we start the conversation by shifting it to what's important to them, because right. they think a leadership speaker, somebody told them to get a leadership speaker. Perfect. They, I sign up as a leadership speaker, but they didn't get what's most important to them. They got the tool to get them what's most important to them. And until they get what's most important to them, you're just one of a thousand leadership speakers. But what I do is help them get clear about what they really want. What they really need to do is to improve the communication of their leadership team and build alignment with their organization. Ah, so I'm not selling you leadership speaker. I'm selling the alignment of your organization and the ability of your executive team to work together which is exactly what you talked about doing with lasvegas.com, which for some reason you stopped doing with your current business. Right, right. So again, the real question is not what do I have to sell, whether it's product or service makes no difference. When I go out with my clients, when I've trained them in this process, I sell better than they do, including people who've been selling their stuff for 20 years, because I don't need to know how to explain the details and the specifics of a product or service. What I need to do is reveal the client's most important needs and values. 
and then recognize whether or not I can fulfill on that. They don't care what you do. This is how you hire your doctor, your lawyer, your accountant, your landscape architect, your dentist. Do you go to your surgeon and say, tell me where you studied and what you learned how to do and which instruments you're gonna use? People make decisions <laughs> based on who they can trust to take care of them right. in an area they don't even know how to make a decision. It's so obvious when you do that parallel, Steve. It is, it is, and I love the the kitchen remodel just because we've just gone through it, right? right. Now, now we happen to hire our 20-year-old son to do the work and he did a, a remarkable job. But um, I I will from this day forward, remember that anytime I'm talking about the uniqueness of my tools. (laughs) And again, you know, nobody cares about the uniqueness of your tools, but what they do care about, you know, I mean, the opening story in the book is really about my first fortune 500 client. And then through a strange series of circumstances, I was brought in. Well, here's a strange circumstance. The guy was supposed to refer me to somebody else. So he says, tell me what you do. So I know who to refer you to. And my answer to that, knowing this understanding and principle is rather than give you a laundry list of services, what are a couple of the most significant issues you're dealing with? And I'll tell you how I'd help you with them. So the five minute conversation went to 20 minutes at the end of which, instead of referring me, says, we need this. I'm in to see his boss four days later. I had an hour and five minute conversation. They had been researching for six months who they were going to work with to produce marketing for an IT organization of a Fortune 500 group. First of all, I never worked with a Fortune 500, but what I do know how to work with, what's the most important? He was looking for a two or three day training on how to market IT services. And I'm like, let's see, what's the downfall of this? Have you ever had lasting results from a two or three day training? No. (laughs) What happens if you fail? We're out of business. I said, I'd suggest something different. Boom. And the next 40 minutes was really about him talking about what he's trying to accomplish to the point where it was really clear what he needed was to transform his culture and their ability to have conversation with their clients rather than be the expert that goes in, Chicky, I see you got a million and a half dollars in your budget. Let me tell you what I'm going to do with it because you don't know enough to make a decision. And they had to change that to a culture where the client could choose whether they wanted to spend money or not. They had one year to do it. So right away, reframing the problem he stood up after an hour and five minutes, shook my hand and said, you know, if my people could do with their clients what you just did with me, we'd have no problem. Next thing I know, I just won the biggest contract in my life. And you know what happened was, and I didn't know anything about IT and I'd never been in a Fortune 500. And they basically paid to create the program that's now this book. But that was 1994. Amazing. So what, but again, the story is, I didn't need to know his business I needed him to know what really mattered and I needed to know if I could solve that for him. But he didn't want to know how I was going to do it. He didn't care. What he cared about is he trusted that I understood the issue well enough because I was the only one who brought it out in six months of researching opportunities. So again, the real key issue is number one, value lives in their mind. Number two, they generally don't know what they value. 90% of the time you can be assured if you do what they ask for, you're not giving them enough value to differentiate yourself, much less win the deal. Number three, helping them get clear about what it is rather than telling them what it is, is worth 10 to a hundred times as much as you telling them what it's worth. And number four, you only say yes when you know you can deliver what they really value. 
And number five is they don't care how you do it if you can deliver it. Right. Right. Well, again, it, it makes it so clear uh, when you talk about that. So in, in the processes of, of actually implementing this revolution, so you talked about the stage of engaging. Right. You talked about helping them navigate. So uh, the third piece of this, the stage of aligning, right? right? Uh, one of the things that we have run into is, is like what we you've can just get heard, the, the initial person that we talked to uh, to really understand this. And again, we haven't done a, good, done a good job, job of, of the framing that we need to do. But getting alignment internally within their organization, quite often, they're the ones who, who create the barrier that says, you, you're not going to get past me. I'm going to go sell it internally, right? And so the alignment isn't just the alignment of that individual who says yes, right? We, we get yes about 95 to 97% of the time on a first call. And in right. fact, they even say, uh, this is a no-brainer. Why wouldn't we do this? I mean, right. that's a salesperson's dream, right? But then there's this whole thing of internal alignment, whether it's the resources necessary to deploy our solution or the understanding of the priorities. I, I um, talked yesterday to the CEO of a community, a community tech company who has a really robust uh, events module. And, you know, I had talk to her about our product, which I realized was absolutely the wrong approach. But what she said was, our clients have never asked for this, right? right. And, and you know, I, I again came back with the story about the microwave and the woman in the 50s. They're not going right. to ask you for what we have. But, you know, would this be valuable to them, which was incremental revenue and donation to their charity of choice and, and helping the communities that they serve? Right. And then she said, well, we've got a long line of, of uh, enhancements that we need to do, and this will be at the end of it. And that will be six months from now. And and so, you know, and unfortunately, I was dealing with the CEO. I try not to do that because when they say no, pretty much you can't get anybody else so aligned. Let me, let me interrupt for a second, because when mm -hmm. the CEO says no, the real question is they're not saying no to everything. They're saying no to something. I call it a decline rather than a negative. They've declined something. What are the conditions they're declining? What are the conditions they would say yes to? And you're giving them opportunities, you know, support their community, uh, reduce their expenses, increase their impact. Question is, what were his most important objectives? And did those objectives match what would really be valuable to them? Because so many times we know if 90% of the time they're not giving you the real critical issue, we need to help them get to the critical issue. Yes, yes. And I can healthy. see now how, how, to, how to use this methodology. Um, and you call it clarifying the conditions of satisfaction. So what, what gets them to recognize those conditions of satisfaction? So let me talk about it in more colloquial terms. The first stage of engaging means do we have rapport? Are we connected? Are we having a conversation? Most salespeople and most professionals get that. They know how to connect with their clients. They know where they are and they know how to get their phone number or their email. The next stage is the one that's neglected and that's navigating and navigating to what? Navigating to what's most important. Let's use the analogy of climbing a mountain. We're at the bottom of the mountain. The top of the mountain is the deal. 
we don't walk straight up the mountain. <laughs> switchbacks right. are how you get up the mountain. Human relationships are built on switchbacks. You don't go straight for marriage, whether it's professional or personal marriage. So the real key issue is what enables us in each step forward to go up the mountain a little further. And the key to success is helping them get clear about what's important to them. So when somebody says, what do you do? You know, the question is, when I answer that question, people say, what do you do? And the reality is that shorthand for what do you do that I would care about? <laughs> right. So let's make sure you're answering the right question. So when somebody says, what do you do? I help my clients accelerate and elevate their results. Are you totally happy with the results and the speed you're getting them from at? Not from, but at. And if you're saying yes to that, then I'm going to ask the next question. So first of all, anybody who says yes is usually pretentious. Because anybody <laughs> I know who's really high quality wants to get better results regardless of, of how good theirs are. So if they say yes, then my question is, well, what's the key to your success? Because that will open the door to show you what's missing. But most of the time they're saying, well, I'm not getting as much as I'd really like. Well, what's, what's your biggest challenge in doing that? What's the biggest opportunities that you have that would help you get there? And right away, you're in a substantive, meaningful conversation where you're demonstrating you're caring for them. You're not talking about you. You're talking about their most important topic, which is them. And more importantly than helping them with the most important topic, you're helping them do it more effectively than they do it themselves. This is proving value before you ever discuss doing something for them. You're doing it right in the first conversation. Too many people have this belief that I need to show you what I do. And once you see it, you can't believe how great it would be for you. <laughs> exactly. The reality of it is show me from my first conversation with you that you can be the ally the person, the professional, the expert that I can trust in this area that I don't even know how to make a good decision in. And you do that by helping them get clear, not by telling them what they need to know. Mm. Well, Steve, it's one of those things that it, it's so simple that, that you wonder why it isn't obvious, right? Can I tell you the answer to that, Chicky? Yes. Everybody knows the old 80-20 rule, Pareto's law. I have a new 80-20 rule, new. I've been using it for 20 years when I made it up. And it goes like this. 80% of success is common sense. Less than 20% of the people are using it. So our job is to be part of the 20% who knows how to use common sense. And again, the real issue is a lot of people can recognize common sense. That's what we're doing today. But when we turn common sense into common practice, extraordinary results show up. Mm. Well, on that note, uh, I'd love for you to share with folks how they can get in touch with you. I know that uh, you run the Institute for Sales Innovation, which has been core, uh, you know, to your success. So how can they best contact you or, or follow you? Well, first of all, phone is always good because it's live and immediate. 978-369-4525. That's 978 in the Boston area. 369-4525. You can always reach us through info at optimizeintl.com. That's optimizeintl.com. And you can always go to the website at www.optimizeintl.com. So you reach, us, reach out to us. We're always willing to entertain questions and help you. If you've got a specific issue, send it to us by email at info at optimizeintl.com. 
Steve, this has just been so, so powerful. And, you know, I, I really can't wait to, to really dig in and because the specific examples you've given, you know, I mean, I, I can see me plastering them on my wall, just so it reminds me of the questions I need to be asking, because I think that's really where, uh, where I can make dramatic changes in my own world. And again, we want our listeners to be able to change their game uh, as well. So we have been talking today to the author of The Ultimate Sales Revolution, Sell Differently, Change the World. Steve Lashansky has been our guest. Steve, thank you so, so much. And I am just so grateful for the time that you've sewn in to me, uh, right? Because this, this show, while uh, for our audience and the C-Suite Radio Network and all of the folks that we d- distribute this uh, podcast out to, um, I really think about it as my own personal doctorate, right, in business. And you have helped me so much today personally. So I just am personally very, very grateful. You are very welcome, Chickie. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for being here, too. Great. Thanks so much. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Thank you.